I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. To explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Others lock up your sons. The fangirls are busting out all over. It's Fangirl Radio. Fangirl Radio. the fangirls on jackalope radio hey everybody and welcome to the latest and greatest episode of the fangirl radio show i'm your host jessica dwyer and currently with me is one of my two co-hosts mr eric smith hello everyone ryan will be showing up later in our interview segment with the awesome steve johnson i have a little bit of a crush just a little because he's a little just a little i love steve johnson he's the man he is who i refer to as the hunter s thompson of the special effects world because he is a crazy mofo who is brilliant and will uh he's just crazy and awesome and they don't make very many guys like that anymore he's pretty cool um but we do have an interview with the awesome steve johnson and i will warn you ahead of time there are no filters there are no filters in this interview there is language and um discussion of drugs and prostitutes because steve johnson (laughs) i knew it going in man i knew it going in when i asked him to be on the show (laughs) oh my god and uh we talk about specific parts of robert england's anatomy too Wait, wait, wait. To get him to do the interview, did you have to give him drugs and prostitutes? <laughs> no, but okay, it, well, I wouldn't have been surprised. <laughs> I love Steve Johnson. He is he is great. And he has a five-volume book set coming out um, that he just broke. He broke the record on um, – or the, he broke the uh, level that he was looking to get um, – the funding for on Kickstarter by a lot um, for the book series. And it's called Rubberhead and it's five volumes because he has done so much stuff. It is insane. If you go on IMDb or, or on Wikipedia and look him up and see all the films that he has worked on, he has worked on basically my, my age range, which is I'm in my forties now. That guy was my childhood, what he worked on. Um, it's pretty fantastic. He created Slimer. You know, he created all those wonderful effects in Fright Night. Um, one of the coolest bats, vampire bats I've ever seen. Uh, God, he's just done everything. He worked on, he worked with, uh, on the Howling Ghost Story, I think is on that list. And just all the good stuff. Steve Johnson probably made it. So... He's great, and the the book series is all about his his career stuff he's worked on. It's just really awesome, and they actually are doing an audio book. We'll talk about that in the interview, but I'm really stoked for that. I want the audio book. 
because <laughs> Steve is he's he's got a great voice and he uh, he's fun to talk to. If you ever go to a con and Steve Johnson is a guest there, you'll find him probably in the bar or out smoking, and you can go hang with him and talk to him. And he's very very fun to talk to. Um, so that will be in a little bit. Uh, but first, I want to do a quick weekend geek. And I haven't talked to you in a, very, in a little bit, Eric. So how's everything going for you? Oh, just fantastic. Except for the heat. <laughs> He's melting. <laughs> Except for the heat, everything is good. I've been reading some good books, playing some good games, got a new tattoo, well, half a tattoo. You got a Cthulhu tattoo. Yes, with Aquaman. Aquaman's on there? Yes. If you go back to my Facebook page, to the very first post of the tattoo, there's actually three photos. And uh, Aquaman's not finished, but you can see the outline. <laughs> I just thought it'd be fun to have Aquaman in my Cthulhu tattoo. That is awesome. Um, You'll have to share that with Mark Mir. You'll have to definitely share that with him. He'll love that. He'll love that, that once you get that done. Um, well... I'm excited because this weekend is Horror Hound Weekend, and I'm filming, filming my pilot at that show for my series about conventions called Converge. It's a big week. Um, it's going to be fantastic. Um, we, uh, I'm working on a bunch of stuff right now, um, just so many things going on. It's been crazy. I can't believe I actually got time to actually do a show this week. Um, but if you are coming to Horror Hound Weekend in Indianapolis, Feel free to come up, say hi. I'll be running around with my um, my crew, and it's going to be a great, great show. Mask Fest is happening that weekend as well. Same building. I can't wait. It's going to be a good time. Um, so let's go through the Week in Geek. And one thing that I wanted to bring up, because we haven't talked about a lot of uh, TV shows lately, is, um, you know, we usually do our recaps. And I'm behind on uh, Fear of the Walking Dead. Um, so I'm kind of feeling bad about that, but one thing that I wanted to talk about that I am caught up on is the strain. Um, and a lot of people seem to have forgotten this show's around. I mean, it's doing well in ratings, but no one really talks about the strain. Um, and I'm really stoked for this season because it is, it just started off really well. There's a lot of really creepy things going on. Um, the one big thing that is like really you're waiting for bad stuff to happen is uh, the fact that Zach is with his mom, who is a one of the Strigoi. You're and in this episode, this last episode, it was called, I believe, um, Bad White, which is the name of the fluid that the master gives people to keep them kind of beholden to him. Um it was really creepy because he's Zach's with his mom and she's sniffing him and you're waiting for her to try to eat him or suck him dry or whatever. It's really, really disturbing the whole episode. It's just, they're doing that whole thing really, really, really well. Um, but the thing I really liked about, I really, really love uh, in this show is when they do the flashbacks and uh, one of the, my favorite characters in this episode and in the series is Quinlan, who is the half vampire, half human bastard offspring of the master. And I don't think Eric has watched any of this show, but he really should because you'd really dig it. 
I'll catch up on it sometime <laughs> along with everything else. <laughs> but um, it's, it's just a really, cause it, you know, it was a book series first and it's, and they have, what I like about the strain is they have a finite number of seasons they're going to do. They're not going to add more. They're not going to buff up the story just to make it keep going. They know what they want to do. They have it set in stone how many seasons they're going to do, and that's it. Um, but Quinlan is an amazing character. He's a really just really cool looking. He's a badass. Um, Rupert Penry Jones plays him, and he's just an awesome character. He's a thousand years old. So whenever they do flashbacks with Quinlan, they're flashbacks like to ancient Rome and to all of these other times uh, that he lived through. It's very neat, um, and he his whole thing is he wants to kill the master because the master um, killed his mother, very much like Blade. He's very much that whole Daywalker thing going on. Um, but it's a really cool – that one's really good. I like that there are so many flawed characters in this show. Um, Ephraim, who is the uh, – you know, Corey Stoll, who is the hero, quote-unquote, of the, of the deal, uh, he is actually an alcoholic – He's a bad father, but he's trying to save his son. He blames himself for his his wife being um, uh, turned into a vampire. Just all this stuff. It's all bad for F. He's just not doing very well. And the whole thing is his wife, his ex-wife, comes to him all strigoid out and just basically tells him, if you don't bring us the book, the Lumen, which is the thing that can tell them how to kill the master of the big bad vampire – um, we're going to kill kill Zach, so we'll trade you. And so F goes back to his friends and has to tell them the bad news about uh, Nora, his his um, partner in crime that died last season, and everybody really liked her. Um, and they um, he goes there specifically to steal the book. Quinlan immediately is like, "You waited this long? Why? Why are you suddenly here now?" You know, like he knows there's some shit going on. So he um, it's fun to watch these two, you know, he has no reason to trust Quinlan. Quinlan has no reason to trust him. And at the end of the episode, he catches him and Quinlan, you know, trying to steal the the lumen. And Quinlan's like, what did he ask? You know, what did he offer you? And he tells him. And so Quinlan basically is like, you know, screw waiting, screw Stratakian and, and, and everybody I'll go with you. I'll kill the master. I can get that book out of that, that safe. Let's do this. And they end the episode with um, Ephraim turning off the UV lights, keeping Quinlan away from the book. And it's, it's like, Oh, the, the, this is, this is some good stuff. I can't wait to see what's going on. And, you know, so next episode apparently is going to be a Quinlan episode, which I'm excited about. But what I really love is upcoming in the show, uh, we get some more flashbacks with uh, Satrakian, who lived through the Nazi, you know, Nazi Germany and everything. And uh, he found an ex-Nazi that um, uh, he recognized, and that ex-Nazi actually gets strigoid in, in the episode <laughs> And they're bringing him back, and I'm really stoked because that ex-Nazi is being played by Nigel Bennett, who who was Lucien Lacroix in Forever Night. So he's a vampire again. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're not watching The Strain, you really should be. It's really good. Um, the first two seasons 
are um, on Hulu for you to watch. Uh, our buddy Doug Jones is in it as one of the ancient vampires. And it's just a really, really, really great show. And you, you have people show up, like you have actors show up that, like like I said, Nigel Bennett's in there. They'll sneak in some uh, Del Toro old school cast people that um, he's had in other, other films that he's done. Um, it's just a really great show, and I really, really enjoy it. Um, and in their preview for the season, some crazy shit goes down on the show. So you should be watching the stream. That's all I'm saying. Um, so we can geek news. The Crow is back in the news again. Again. And now... Dead. Yeah, the Crow is back from the dead. The big news, according to... They're saying now. How many times have we been told that there's going to be a crow movie remake? How many oh, have we lot. heard? Yeah. At this point, I think we're at a half dozen different stops and starts. It was Luke Luke um, Evans. It was Tom Hiddleston. At one point, there was another one too. So now the word is uh, in January that Jason Momoa speaking of Aquaman, is going to start filming The Crow. So, what do you think? Is this a, a, a true remake of the original? Yep, it's Eric Draven. Hmm. I don't want it. I don't want uh, it, Dad. I... Oh, that's right, Bradley Cooper. Bradley uh, Cooper was one of them. <laughs> I don't... Momoa... I don't know. He he's he's too beefy. He's, yeah, he's not the right physicality for the part. I would have been okay with Tom Hiddleston because Hiddleston is that he could he could be a guy you could believe standing. Lanky. He's lanky, but he's 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 built. But that's more. It's more than that. He's got that presence and that voice that he could rattle off Edgar Allan Poe verse <laughs> and make you believe it. You know, like he's got that Shakespearean actor thing going on. Not to knock Momoa, but he's not known for for like, you know, <laughs> being waxing poetic. <laughs> so I'm saying. Um, but yeah, so so far now, if this happens, I'm I'm surprised that DC would let him do this. Um, but we've had Jason Momoa now. It was Tom Hiddleston. I forgot about Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper was up for this. Um, I, at one point, I guess Alexander Skarsgård, which that, eh? oh, um, Jack Houston. I remember that one. And I guess somebody at one point was saying Mark Wahlberg, which I would have had to cut my wrists. Um, but yeah, so that's where we're at with the Crow remake. Apparently, the new rumor is Jason Momoa starting to film it in January. <laughs> so, dilute. Why, why, why? I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Um, speaking of movie, movie series that keep coming back, um, I believe it happened as of our recording today. They dropped the trailer for the new Underworld movie, Blood Wars. Oh. Um, 
Yeah. And so I'm sort of like, uh, okay. Um, I didn't, I, I knew the movie was coming, but it's like, I, I'm trying to figure out um, how they keep making them and why. You know, when, when the original Underworld was coming out, I was very excited because it was going to be a movie about vampires versus werewolves. Like that hadn't been done before, but okay. And I thought that was pretty <laughs> cool. And then, and then what's that? Well, like, I was going to say, you know, that hadn't been done before or anything. Like, I don't know, Vampire the Masquerade, like uh, World of Darkness. I don't know. Well, if we're <laughs> going to get into that, we could get into the whole lawsuit. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember there. that. <laughs> but but we won't get into I, it. It was going to be a movie with vampires versus werewolves. Um, I was excited. And then it was just this leather and bullet fest. You know, the best part of the movie was the end because it was over and I could go yeah, home. The best part of that movie was Michael Sheehan. And I would have, I, I was really happy with like that, the whole, the third movie, which was nothing but him versus Bill Nye. Bill Nye was also awesome in that movie, but they've, Oh God, the guy that played Craven, he was the running joke. Like we, we still joke about Craven if we're talking about something horrible. Which is Craven, <laughs> he was like the, the he was supposed to be this ancient vampire from from the Europe, and he had this horrible Brooklyn accent. I guess it's his actual accent. I don't know if why would you have that accent if I don't if you weren't I don't know. Just bad. Um, the only good Craven is Craven the Hunter. I don't know what this guy. It was the best part of the second movie was when he died. Like they ripped his face open, and I, I actually, my husband and I cheered. We're like, yes, he's dead. That's <laughs> worth the price of the admission for the ticket. Um, but I don't know the underworld movie. I I like them a lot, but this last one was so. I don't, there was, uh, the only good thing was Charles Dance was a vampire in it. That was it. I, so, and they keep, like, they can't get the guy back that played her, um, that played, um, oh, God, I'm blanking on his name. The the hybrid, that uh, Michael. She, they, they, the guy that played Michael, I don't know why they can't get him to come back to the movies. So you always have, um, like some guy that kind of looks like him in from a distance. Was that Scott Speedman's Scott character? Speedman, that's it. Yeah. He they I don't know why he won't he, he just doesn't want to come back, I guess. And so in this new movie, here's the synopsis. The next installment in the Blockbuster franchise follows vampire death dealer Celine as she fins off brutal attacks from both the Lycan clan and vampire faction that betrayed her. That's every movie. Why? Why? With her only allies, David and his father, Thomas, she must stop the eternal war between lichens and vampires, even if it means she has to make the ultimate sacrifice. The hell does that mean? That's every movie. You've just described everyone except for David and Thomas. You can just exchange the names to <laughs> insert name here. I uh, In the trailer, it sort of doesn't really explain dick all uh, about what the movie's about 
it kind of hints at like I'm this is what I'm ex- I'm taking from it. So the guy that plays the bad guy slash future husband in Outlander is a werewolf. He's a lichen. Uh, and so he appears to be leading the lichens in this one. Um, and they have some very pale people that I don't know what they are. They're fighting um, people too. And they're wearing these like furs. This, he's wearing like this fur outfit. And then, you know, David and Thomas show up. So Charles Dance and Theo James are in there. We've got to stop them. Yes, they must stop. be stopped. We need Celine. Where is she? I don't know. Oh, there she is. Oh, look, she's in leather. Do, 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 do. Fight, fight, fight. Row, row, row. Bite, bite, bite. All of a sudden, at the end, Celine is wearing the furs and her hair is half gray. And someone's saying, it's impossible. So I'm just going to assume that Celine somehow gets turned into a half lichen, half vampire. Why? Again, just why? I don't know. I, I'm just telling you, Michael Sheehan was like the best thing to come out of this movie. I loved Lucian. He was great. He brought like an actual character to the character. He gave a crap about it. Um, I loved the third movie which was just him and showing the whole thing about how he became, you know, why he was, what he was and the whole bit. I real Kate Beckinsdale just doesn't interest me on her own because her character was so bland that, I mean, really what, what's the, what's the defining characteristics of Celine? Eric leather. Give, give me, Give me three. Okay, I'm gonna play. I'm gonna play Red Letter Media with you about the Underworld movies, about her character specifically. Um, give me three things about Celine that don't have to deal with her outfit. Um, she's a vamp. What's that? Characteristics about her, like she's a vampire, and she's a vampire, and she's a vampire. <laughs> that's all i got i've only ever seen the first movie because i couldn't i wouldn't subject myself to the others now the third movie you actually i want you to watch the third movie do me a favor watch the third movie uh, you're asking way too much it's real it he's not in it she's not in it and it's michael sheehan being amazing and bill nighy being his you know bitchy self and it's actually good but i <sighs> I went to the th- movies for that last one, and I just was sort of like, I, I couldn't even tell you when I, her, her daughter is in it, that, and that's it. That's all. I, and that guy that was in um, the good-looking guy from um, Almost Human that played the android. But that's it. That's all I remember. That, that was how much of an impact that had on me. So we're getting another one in January. Yay. Yay. <laughs> Uh, also, apparently, we are going in movies that no one asked for. <laughs> We're apparently getting another Shanghai Noon movie. So we've had Shanghai Noon, Shanghai Nights, and now we're getting Shanghai Dawn. 
Okay, now <laughs> there there are some original movies that that do get released. There there are original movies out there, but why this inundation of remakes and sequels? Even if you can't come up with your own original idea, do you know how many amazing novels there are? Yep, that could be turned into films instead of just rehashing the same old stuff why do you realize that the first movie of the shanghai series now we've got a series because there's going to be three was released 16 years ago and people have been clamoring for it for 16 years yeah yeah The, the sequel was 13 years ago so do they this is what happened with zoolander yeah exactly what happened and i actually liked the zoolander 2 movie i enjoyed it and dumb and dumber yeah but this no one has been asking for jackie chan and owen wilson to get back together again (laughs) so i don't know i it's happening there's no word on what it's about it's they're gonna i don't know they're gonna there's gonna there's gonna be a clash of cultures i bet oh bet you bet there's gonna be some snarky bad guy um do you remember who the snarky bad guy was in shanghai nights i don't remember anything about eight gillian so little finger was (laughs) tried to block them out no i just i don't know why they're (laughs) why why are you trying to bring me down I don't know. Let's. I'll talk about something happy. Have you seen? <laughs> okay. Have you seen the kill death the death trailer for the new Friday the Thirteenth video game yet? No. Oh my god! So you need to go. Everybody needs to go see this. It's a it's a death reel. It's basically a a music video of all the de- different kinds of deaths that you can do to people in this game as playing as they're playing Jason. Oh my god, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. You can wear the um you can wear the bag. They have the bag head Jason. There's it just looks fantastic. And it's it it's really cool. I love the whole retroactive vibe to it too. It's 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 going it's gonna be so good. They really did well with it. Um they brought they brought Tom Savini back to do some of the effects for it. They've got Kane Hodder as the body double for Jason, so it's all Kane Hodder walking around. I want to play as young Lake Jason with the malformed head and I'm wouldn't the one that just <laughs> the one that just jumps out at the end of the first movie. Spoiler alert! I wouldn't um, doubt <laughs> that they don't have that option. <laughs> They'll probably have that as an extra. Or better yet, play as Mrs. Voorhees. Yeah, nobody remember seems to remember the fact that you know it was a woman. The first, wanna, the first. I want to wear that big sweater. <laughs> Um, also, uh, making the rounds is the news of how much they are wanting to pay Daniel Craig for two more Bond movies. Have you heard about this? I haven't. Take a guess at how much they're wanting to pay him for two more Bond movies. Each or total package? Total package. 50 million. (laughs) More. All right. That was just a guess. 75 million. Double that. You want me to do math? 150 million? They're wanting to pay him 150 million dollars for two more Bond movies. That's silly. And he 
that's probably not going to do it. That's just that's crazy. that's what everyone's saying. They they want to offer him a hundred and fifty million dollars for that. And here's the thing: it's a rumor, but I wouldn't doubt it because there's been no talks of of you know they they were talking about having Tom Hiddleston maybe be the new Bond, which I'd be okay with if you've seen the um. If you've seen The Night Manager, he's fantastic in that. He's actually nominated for an Emmy, Emmy for that, and he's really good. But um, I, I love Daniel Craig as Bond, but I have to go with what a lot of people are saying. Are like, Spectre was I, – I hated Spectre. I was so disappointed with that movie. I really did not like it. And, he, and part of it was the fact he just looked like he didn't want to be there. Like Wesley Snipes in Blade Trinity? I wouldn't. I didn't want to be in Blade Trinity. <laughs> what are you talking about? I, I paid money for that, and I didn't want to be there. <laughs> there are things I like very much about that movie. The one thing I liked about that movie was Ryan Reynolds. That was the only thing I liked about that movie. Hey, Patton Oswalt was in that, too. I don't even remember Patton Oswalt being in that movie. But I liked Parker Posey. Ugh. Being, what is with people in Parker? I can't stand. <laughs> I can't. She makes me want to hurt myself. It's her face. I don't know. Her her voice, her face. I don't know. She is in one of my favorite movies of all time. Josie and the Pussycats. Oh, my God. I love that movie. What was the, the name of the male band? The guy band? Du jour. Du jour. Du jour means friendship. <laughs> that movie is absolutely hilarious. <laughs> Um, the, the lead singer from Letters to Cleo, if you remember that band, Letters to Cleo, wow, the lead singer from that band is the one who sings the songs. She does the vocals for Josie. (laughs) Um, and Seth Seth Green, I love that movie and Parker Posey is in it. That was the whole point, but that's maybe my guilt. I'm not, I don't even feel guilty about it. No, actually Josie and the Pussycats is a good movie. I, it's just been like a hundred million years since I've seen it. But it's surprisingly funny. Like, it, it's become sort of a cult thing because people realize that that movie was really funny. And it, and it knocks so it knocks that whole boy band and, and girl band thing. It, you know, that's what. Well, yeah. And then came Jim and the Holograms live action. God, no. And it pissed out all the. <laughs> um, so I think that's all the time we got. Eric, do you have anything that you'd like to talk about? Um, I played legendary Civil War deck building game finally. Woo! Talk it's about all that. Legendary, just weeks in a row. Um, well, the best thing about this is it adds uh the pet Avengers ah! as, <laughs> as special sidekick cards. So I nearly passed out with joy when I saw that Thor Frog was now a part of this game. Because uh, <laughs> I love Thor Frog. The Great Lakes Avengers are in it, including Squirrel Girl. Um, and this adds divided cards. They're normal size cards, but they're basically split in half with one character on each side, oh. on each half. Um, and when you play them, you have to choose, because it's Civil War, you have to choose which side you're going to play. So... Um, you may gain a little something, but you also might take a penalty because I need to play Jessica Jones because I need that, but I'm also <laughs> going to gain a wound. Or do I play Luke Cage? 
but then I won't have the fight that I need to take out the Squirrel Girl. Uh, <laughs> so it adds a lot of great new characters, uh, new masterminds, new schemes. Uh, I thought it was a lot of fun. It's got the Vision and Speedball and uh, Tigra. It's got Tigra. <laughs> what more could you ask for? Squirrel Girl, Thorfrog, and Tigra. Right there, you should be sold. That's awesome. Uh, I... But it's legendary deck building, Marvel. It You do need a base set to play this because it's just an expansion. Uh, but it mixes with anything, and it's great fun. Awesome. Well, with that, um, I, we are going to go into our interview segment with the amazing Steve Johnson. Um, mm-hmm. Ryan is on this with me, and we talk. I'm just going to warn you again. We have some cussing, <laughs> and we have some uh, some content that may be objectionable to some younger viewers or listeners. Um, but, you know, it wouldn't be a Steve Johnson interview without that. So um, feel free to um, enjoy this awesome conversation with Steve Johnson. We get to talk about the amazing um, special effects work that he did in a lot of really cool films, stuff I've forgotten about that he did because um, he's just he's been doing this since 1980. Like it's crazy how much work he's done and who he's worked with. Um, but I'm really excited about Rubberhead. I can't wait to get the book or hear it. I'm going to be one of the people that buys the audio because <laughs> it's just fun to listen to Steve talk about this stuff and that he's lived through. Um, but, yeah, it's a great interview. And um, we'll also have on our website links to where you can go to get the book. Even though the Kickstarter's over, you can still order it. You can still get the um the audiobook version of it as well. Okay, and so with that, we're going to go into our Steve Johnson interview. And once again, thank you, Eric. No problem. Awesome, guys. Thank you again. And here comes Steve. Hey, everybody. I want to welcome a legend of the special effects industry to Fangirl Radio. Mr. Steve Johnson is here to talk about his new book and a massive career that has pretty much uh, given life to most of my favorite films. Um his new book is Rubberhead, and he just hit it um, beyond his mark on Kickstarter with it. So congratulations, Steve. Thank you so much. So um, we're going to pick your brain about uh, just all of this. But the first thing I want to ask you about is... Um, Wait, before you, before you get started, Jessica, can I just say I'm goddamn happy to be on this goddamn <laughs> show, Jessica? <laughs> Damn it, I'm... This is fucking awesome, isn't it? I'm so happy. We have no filters on because we're not going to be live on the air with this. So filters off. We're going to have a good time. And as Steve pointed out before we started recording, people who are really intelligent love cursing. So just be fucking prepared for that. It's a documented fact. (laughs) So so I got to ask about what... What led to you wanting to do this book? Because I know a little bit of the history about it, but really what made you want to do a book about uh, your life in, in the effects world? Well, a couple of things. I mean, um, first of all, a, a lot of writers will say that uh, there's two kinds of writers. I mean, there are those that write for themselves and there are those that write for others. I've written a lot of, uh, let's say, three fiction novels, and uh, unfortunately I haven't had any of them published yet. Those were written for other people. Uh, and when I say that, a broader audience, something you know you, that's inside of you that you want to get out that will help people, that will help them learn. That's what storytelling is all about. It teaches us, right? 
Um, and hopefully with the success of the Rubberhead series, I'll get some of my fiction novels out. But but Rubberhead, I have to say, I wrote for myself <laughs> to be completely <laughs> honest about it because writing can be therapeutic. And, you know, with my very storied history and career, I just had to get it out. And, it, you know, it is really, really highly entertaining. But secondly, and in, in not being, you know, not joking around, I think that the, the, the best thing, the best aspect of Rubberhead and, and what I kind of learned in, in writing it is that what's going to happen with the series of books? It's a five series. Uh, it's it's going to ultimately be a series of five volumes. Uh, what's going to happen is, I think it's really important to document the golden age of makeup effects, animatronics, animatronics and prosthetics from the 80s through the 90s, uh, all the way up until when digital technology kind of altered, transformed our career and our art. I think it's important to document that because it is gradually changing and fading away and evolving into something that is very, very different than it was in the glory days. And so I don't want that to be forgotten. I think, you know, for generations to come and, uh, you know, a hundred years from now and further, this will serve as an open window to those days. And I think it's unique and I think it's a responsibility to do it. And I'm just the guy to do it. God damn it. <laughs> I will, I will, I will fricking agree. I'm, I, I, that was a PG one. Um, but I, I got to say, like, going back, you're right. I mean, you really lived through that golden age of the special effects industry, and you helped contribute to so much of it. I, Ryan, um, I told Ryan, I just want you to be intimidated a little bit. Go look at his his list, his filmography. And it's, oh, my God, man, you've worked on everything, and you've created so much. And you were there in the 80s when that really seemed like the golden age of 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 prosthetics really yeah well that's when it all started i mean it, it has always struck me it's kind of unbelievable that you know edison unveiled his kinetoscope right around the turn of the 19th century and you know we've been making movies for 120 years just just 120 years um but it took basically a young kid from covina california rick baker all the way up until what was it 1982 or 83 to, to realize that, it, I mean, and Madame Giuseppe has been making perfect, you know, waxwork replicas of people for over 100 years. But it took, what, 80 years for somebody to realize, Rick Baker, that you could make a, a perfect likeness of someone and distort it. And, right. and that's what really started everything. I mean, of course, we had Dick Smith with Taxi Driver, The Godfather, and The Exorcist. But, you know, I think what really kicked off the, the heyday of this industry was, was American Werewolf. And it took an awful long time for people to realize it. And then, man, just the, the dams burst. And then what, what happened was, you know, suddenly directors and writers realized that they could film. They could put anything on film that they could imagine. And it just ushered in this entire new wave of filmmaking. It kind of altered the course of filmmaking for two decades at least. Oh, yeah. Well, and just it seemed to progress like really in the mid 80s is when everything sort of blew, blew up and you had like you started you did Ghostbusters. And then when people saw that, they were just blown away by how it kind of meshed together. There was a little bit of digital in that, but it it was more for like the color. <laughs> but you created these creatures and, and effects that were just so phenomenal. And then Fright Night came along, which. It's one of my favorite representations of a vampire bat. I mean, that was really what a vampire should look like. Right. Well, let me just talk about that for a moment, because that was really, um, you know, I, I started out in, in 1978 with, with Rick Baker, Rob Bottin, Greg Cannon, you know, kind of the cornerstone 
big guys in the industry, and I worked with all of those guys for a few years, and then moved on to Richard Edlund's Boss Film Corporation, where we did all the greatest hits of the 80s, from Ghostbusters, Friday Night, Big Trouble in Little China, Poltergeist 2, even our failed version of The Predator. But I think that what was amazing about the Boss Film days at Richard's company was that for the first time, there was an umbrella corporation. Richard came down to Marina Del Rey and decided that what he wanted to do was open a company that would not only handle the optical effects, because there was no digital back then, it was all optical printing and that kind of thing. Um, it was all done photochemically. Uh, but he not only wanted to handle that, like ILM was doing at the time, George Lucas' company, but he also wanted to do pyrotechnics. He also wanted to have shooting stages just so he could totally control the effect sequences when they were shot. He wanted to do models. Mark Stetson ran the model department. And he wanted to do creatures. And so we opened this facility with our, our virgin outing was Ghostbusters. And the magical thing about that was that for the first time, Somebody like me and Randy Cook, Randy Cook and I did the first three films there together, uh, Ghostbusters, Bright Night, and Pulitzer Prize too. Um, but what that allowed us to do is work hand in hand with Richard's stable of optical sorcerers. So it really elevated our craft to a point that had not been done yet because we were all working in the same company. So if we couldn't really pull something off completely practically and physically, we would go over to Richard's um, optical building and discuss it with his geniuses over there and. Man, we shot stuff underwater. We did clown tape stuff. We shot against blue screen. We did. We, we we had a whole new toolkit to work with, and that's what I think made all the films that we did at Richard's place at Boss Films so magical because no one had really had that opportunity before, and it was amazing. That's awesome. I was walking on 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 air during those years. It was absolutely brilliant. Well, and it came across too because you could see that there was like a, a meshing of of the different arts together, and it just made these things pop so much more. Right, and it didn't hurt that all those films, with maybe the exception of Poltergeist 2, were fantastic scripts, great directors, and uh, just, you know, wonderful, iconic projects. Oh, yeah, total, totally. And and still, you know, Poltergeist 2 is, like, coming back slow. Like, they, that movie is actually getting more and more of a cult following now. It seems like in the last few years, people are re- Yeah, well, it, it, it probably should. And as a matter of fact, it's funny you mentioned that, because just yesterday I did a... Um, interview for the the blu-ray release of it so it'll get a little more attention when that comes out nice that's great um so what was the process for you in making this making this book because it's not a fiction book it's it's a lot more personal personal to you and how, how what was your process for making it well okay obviously i've worked on hundreds of films countless episodes of television rock videos commercials theme park animatronics. I mean, so, yeah, I mean, just trying to narrow that down. This is why it's five volumes. I mean, <laughs> trying to narrow, narrow that down. What I did not want to do is I didn't want to do the typical boring thing where you start chronologically and say, well, you know, it all started on a snowy day on February 7th, 1960, and then just plod through the misery of, you know, the, the details childhood, <laughs> and then just go chronologically through it. Because what you do as a writer, what I've learned over the years, is you, you cut out the boring shit, right? And so what I tried to focus on were the biggest directors, the biggest actors, the funniest stories, and the most poignant stories. And so that really narrowed it down. Unfortunately, I think a lot of the fans may be a little bit disappointed that some of the, the, the films that they, they really cherish may not be covered in it. But I also did something that I think is very unique in a memoir, which is, um, again, it does. I don't say, well, I'm post to guys too. I worked with H.R. Giger, and he was kind of difficult, and... We did this, and then we did that, and then we finished, and we moved on to Big Trouble in China. It's not like that at all. It's, you are a fly on the wall in each chapter. 
it, it's all written in present tense. The dialogue is there. It's like a, it read, they read like scenes from movies. You're really, really there. Therefore, that kind of means you've got to slow your writing style down because you're writing in real time. So that's that's one reason for the length of the books as well. So yeah, I just tried to as as, as hard as I could to be there, bring the reader there, so you can taste it, feel it, smell it, hear it, and really know what it was really like. And so it's pretty unique in that respect. I think people are going to be really amazed, um, not just at the photographs, um, but I think um, at the writing style. And I'm, I'm really, really pleased with that. Well, and that was one of the questions I had for you, is how difficult was it to pick what you're going to put in here? Because even with five volumes, you have, like you said, so much stuff that you've worked on. Was it like picking a favorite kid? <laughs> It wasn't really because, you know, there's a lot of stuff. It, I, I kind of took a David Sedaris approach. I really, you know, I, 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 I surprised myself at how much humor is in this book um, <laughs> because I took a David Sedaris. I mean, David Sedaris can write a chapter that is absolutely captivating about him walking across the room to pick up a pack of cigarettes. And 40 pages later, you've got tears streaming down your face <laughs> because you're laughing so hard. I mean, he can write about nothing. And so there are a lot of chapters about nothing in this book as well. <laughs> Um, but but they're funny chapters, and and they do you know I mean like for instance there's a a story that may not necessarily grab people's attention because it was a famous movie but there's a story there's one chapter in one of the volumes uh, about my going to Hong Kong and working on a, a, a Jackie Chan movie but all I really mention about the Jackie Chan movie is I've got to be on set at 7 a.m. And, and I end up doing two hits of ecstasy with 14 hookers and staying up all night before I have to go to set. But it's a charming story. So there's really a David Sidaris, and there really were 14 hookers, and there's it's really a kind of a David Sidaris approach. So I, what I did is, when I wrote this, originally I didn't write it as an art book at all. It was written as a straightforward memoir along the lines of what Anthony Bourdain did with Kitchen Confidential. Now, what he did with that book, and ultimately, you know, spawned many other books and a television, two or three television shows. Yeah. But what he did is he wanted to make, he wanted to blow the doors open on the restaurant industry and make his book about the restaurant industry very accessible to the mass audiences. And so that's what my goal was. I mean, I, I would think and hope that soccer moms in New Jersey and attorneys in Kansas would also get this book because it's kind of written for everyone. However, I, you know, here's one of the really bizarre things about the thing is that I went with standard, I mean, I really wanted to go with a standard real world publishing company at first, one of the big ones. Mm -hmm. um, and so I fought and fought and fought. And ultimately, I don't know if you know much about the publishing world, but it's very difficult to break in it. Oh, but I, yes. might as well have, I might as well have decided to become a 50 year old rock star for God's sake. <laughs> I decided to become a 50 year old writer. <laughs> but I did indeed grab the attention of Anthony Bourdain's agent. And he took this around for about a year and we got very close with, with a couple of the big five publishers Ultimately, they all passed on it, and so finally I thought, well, you know what? This book does need to get out there, so kind of realize if you can't beat them, join them. Give the kids what they want, and so in speaking with a couple of publishers, we decided to do a very unique blend that, that ultimately ends up with these books being half memoir, half art book, so there will be loads of pictures. The book will be, is going to be uh, graphically laid out, so it's a feast for the eyes. And um, I think I lost your question. I lost my train of thought. No, no, I, I, it's great. No, I was going <laughs> to, I was actually, you made me think of another question, which is, uh, I would love to hear an audio version of it with you. Well, did, reading. Yeah, what? We're, we're doing that. Yes. We're doing that. 
That's... We absolutely are doing it because as we ran the Kickstarter campaign, people were just coming at me crazy because I've done a couple of live readings. and I did a podcast where I read the Ghostbusters chapter and people have been clamoring for an audiobook. And so we finally decided like three quarters of the way through the Kickstarter campaign to go ahead and add it. Nice. And so we will definitely be doing an audio version of it. And I'm really excited about it because, I mean, who better to perform this book than me? Because I know when the pauses are, I know, <laughs> you know, when, when to slow down, when to speed up. And so I'm really excited about that. I think people will really get a kick out of it. Well, and I've, I've been at cons with you before. And one thing that you're really amazing at is, is just being entertaining and telling great stories. So that's why I'm like, <laughs> I, this begs stories about 14 hookers and ecstasy before a film series. <laughs> begs for you to tell the tale <laughs> of what led to that. Well, gee, thanks. <laughs> well, well, hopefully you supported the Kickstarter campaign. Don't tell me you didn't buy an audiobook already. I didn't know about the audiobook. I'm going to have to now. Now I have to. Well, let me just let me just tell you. Um, you know, a, a lot of times Kickstarter campaigns, once they're, um, once the campaign is over, uh, it's virtually impossible to get what the Kickstarter campaign was pimping in the first place. But that's not the case. We will have many other ways. Uh, obviously, I'm going to be doing the convention circuit. Uh, Michael Key with his International Makeup Artist Trade Show is doing a um, uh, a huge world tour with me to go to London and, and Sydney and everywhere to, to, to publicize this thing. Also going to Neil Gorton's place in, in Birmingham, England this coming November. So um, certainly we'll be able to get them at conventions, but you can already order any of the things that we offered on the Kickstarter, meaning the audiobook, um, the soft cover, the hard cover, whatever versions were offered on the Kickstarter, you can get them on Sandy Calora's... Uh-oh. Did I lose you guys? No, you're here. I hear you. Oh, okay. I think somebody's calling me. In any case, uh, you can you can go to uh, MontauxPublishing.com. It's uh, M-O-N-T-A-U-K Publishing.com and order the stuff even right this second. That's Montauk Publishing, M-O-N-T-A-U-K. And, we'll, and I'll have the link for that up on our website as well, for sure. Okay, brilliant. brilliant. Yes. And uh, so I love Sandy, by the way. Uh, he probably created one of the coolest Batman things I've ever, ever seen in my life. So I was... Oh, I, Batman dead end. God, yes. Oh, my God. Yes. That was so beautiful. Yeah, Sandy is, is a great guy to partner with because we kind of worked... Uh, we were working like a, an old married couple. For, I'm kind of a loose cannon and, uh, you know, the guy that's crazy and out on the, on the edge at all times. And Sandy kind of has to reel me back in and keep me on schedule and keep everything moving in a business-like fashion, which is great. It's a perfect team up. And, he, you know, with the whole reason I, Sandy and I decided to work together is he did a series of books recently um, called The Art of Creature and Character Design, which you can also order on his website. Um, and once I took a look at those, I knew he was the right guy to work with. That's fantastic. So I know Ryan has, Ryan, are you still here or did we lose you? No, I'm here. Perfect. So I know Ryan. I think what happened is somebody, somebody called in and I don't know how to make it go away. Somebody else just called in. It's okay. They're not important. We are. <laughs> so... yeah, anyway, fuck them. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, so I know Ryan had a favorite film, um, one of a very special one to him that you've worked on, which was, didn't you say it was Night of the Demons 2? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it <laughs> yes, it was. So what do you, I, I'm, I have another question for you, but I know he wanted to ask about that film. And is there anything that stuck out during that filming experience for you for Night of the Demons 2? Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that. I think some of these sequels that I've done, uh, 
don't get quite the, the hoopla as the originals. And I do like that second film. I think there's a lot of fun stuff in it. Um, the you know the the, the the water pistols and the squirt guns filled with holy water is hysterical. <laughs> I kind of also I think I was able to kind of refine the look of the demons from the time that we had done Night of Demons one. I think the demon makeups in, in two are really good. And there's just a lot of fun stuff in it. I really, really like the Angela Snake Monster. I'm just thrilled with that, the thing that happens at the end. And, of course, we have the mechanical erect penis, which is the <laughs> God. As well as, as well as we had to come up with an answer to the Linnaean Quigley lipstick through the nipple in, in, in Night of the Demons 1. So in Night of the Demons 2, if you recall, there are, there's this girl with a pair of huge tits that actually become hands. And grab her victim. Remember that scene? <laughs> yeah. God. <laughs> yeah, that, that's loaded with crazy effects. And, and even the, we did do, do there's a, there's a nod to the lipstick thing. The same girl whose breasts become hands um, find the lipstick cartridge, and and the lipstick itself crawls out of the cartridge, crawls across the floor, and rapes her, and that's how she becomes possessed. Oh my God! So, yeah. I used to watch that movie again. Holy. You, you got to check it out. Um, I still one. remember those images vividly from 20 years ago. That was the first horror film I ever saw. And I did not sleep oh, at yeah. all that night. I was not supposed to be watching that at 10 years old. You fucked me up, dude. That is, <laughs> that, that, that is, I'm sorry about that. And that's so funny to say because, you know, people, people, you know, the, the, the only movie that's ever scared me is The Exorcist. Now, of course, I was young when I saw it. I was probably 11 or 12. I was probably too young to see it. Scared the holy Christ out of me. But when people tell me that these movies that I did, you know, 20 and sometimes 30 years ago scared them, I, I don't understand it because, you know, when you're so close to it, you get desensitized to it. So it's just, it's strange for me to hear that this actually scared people because it's almost, not even demons too in particular, it almost seems more like a, a lighthearted comedic romp to me. <laughs> okay, well, let me just say that in respect to what you just said, um, I saw Night of the Demons 2 before I ever saw The Exorcist. So I was desensitized before <laughs> I saw The Exorcist, and I felt that The Exorcist was a light comedic romp. I laughed my ass off through The Exorcist. And I don't <laughs> oh, you're kidding. I actually no. wet my bed. I wet my bed the night I saw that. And not because I was a bedwetter, but because I was so horrified. Every time I'd, I'd shut my eyes, I could see... Reagan with her contact lenses on and hear Mercedes McCambridge's voice come out of her and it's the most horrific image ever and I was literally too afraid to get out of bed and walk 15 feet to the bathroom so I just laid there and peed myself <laughs> that's how that movie affected me. I that's saw how, the that's how much I saw the exorcist when I was five and it has fucked me up. That's what's wrong with you. My entire life. And my mom Who thought. Who the it, hell let you watch The Exorcist when you were my mom, My mom thought it was funny and didn't care that I was watching The Exorcist with her at five years old. And I was so traumatized by it that when I went to, I think, the Hollywood Wax Museum, one of them had the entire bedroom redesigned. And they had her on the bed and the, and the figure's head went in circles. I, I was 12, I think, when I saw it, went to the, the museum, and I saw it coming up, and I, I couldn't go forward. I, I, was, I was, like, riveted to the, the, the sidewalk, and I'm like, I can't move. I can't go. And they're like, you have to go. You have to get out. You, you know, I'm like, I started crying, and then I ran, and I didn't look at it. I ran through. That's how fucked up I am from The Exorcist. 
Well, that brings up an interesting point about Laura. <laughs> I mean, to me, I think for you know why I was so horrified by the exorcist when I saw it, partially had to do with my age, my young age, but it also, I think, had to do with the fact that no one had ever put those type of images on film before. However, at this point, and you know, shortly after, you know, at least ten years after the exorcist. Everybody's putting contact lenses in. Everybody's doing crazy federal voices. I mean, it's all been done at this point. So, I mean, is is there anything left that scares people, or do you just have to be so young that it's it is new to you because you haven't seen all of these other things? It's a weird question. Well, and also, it's like I don't think anybody had ever done that sort of thing with a kid. Like we had the back right. seed, but she looked all innocent and sweet. But we've never seen a child act like that and what do you do in that do you you are you able to kill a kid are you able to do that um i just saw a really good documentary called uh horror europa that talks about a movie that's actually called can you kill a child about these killer kids that look like normal children and it was done like in the 70s um but that's one thing with the exorcist is no one had really shown a monster of a child and it could be anybody. There was no reason for her to be possessed. It can happen to right. anyone. So, you know, that, that kind of point, that points to what I was saying. I mean, it was brand new then. Yeah. And so, therefore, very scary. But then, but then, I'm sorry, I forgot your name. But you, the guy whose <laughs> name I forgot. Ryan. We're afraid. <laughs> we're frightened yeah. by, by Night of the Demons Part 2. What's the matter with you? <laughs> I had never seen, I mean, I'd seen Jaws and stuff, but. I pretty much kept away from horror films because I was chicken shit. Now I'm an indie horror filmmaker. So it's like, you know, what does that say? <laughs> you know, it's like, it's a I was growing at a young twisted. age. <laughs> yeah. And I grew to love it and I appreciate it. And so now I look back at films like Night of the Demons too. And I'm like, this is awesome. This is great. And I see the comedy in it and I have fun with it. But I mean, at 10 years old and never seeing that, it was like, <laughs> oh my God. What is this? And my cousin thought it was hilarious, so. (laughs) So, kind of of feeding into that, I have one question that I don't know if you're going to be able to answer this, Steve. But what would you say, because God knows what you're going to answer with, if you can. What would you say is the most bizarre film shoot experience you've ever had? Oh, God, that's a good one. They've been so, so, so. I'll say the most recent. (laughs) I'll tell you the most recent bizarre one. The most recent bizarre one is I did a favor for a friend of mine called Ralph Hall. Um, he he uh, is a director and he does effects. And he directed, he wrote and directed a movie called Fear Clinic. And I he had, he, I, I really don't often do movies anymore unless they're friends or people that I respect and I know are going to respect me in return. But he was in a pinch. He had to go off on location and start scouting and doing directorial things. He was like, can you please just art direct the effects for this movie? And it starred Robert England. Oh, yeah. And so I, I, I thought, well, I guess I'll art direct him. But then once I started, I mean, after the first day, I'm like, I got the, the bug. And I'm like, I can't just come in a couple hours a day and art direct. I want to do this. I want to make it really good. So we did a whole bunch of cool effects on it. And the last night of shooting, we shot all night. And I didn't even know this was going to happen. We built this huge cocoon. And um, it swallows... Robert England and spits him back out and when he spits him back out Robert is naked and slimy on the floor <laughs> and we get to the scene and Robert comes on set and just 
disrobes completely. He's completely naked. And he lays on, he lays on, in front of everybody, and he lays on the floor. And I've known Robert for years, so it was, you know, it was just kind of like, that's Robert's doing the thing again. He lays on the floor, and he's like, Steve, Steve, come here. He's like, yeah, you got to put something over my cock. Okay, and he goes, I mean, anyway. And so I'm like, what are you talking about? What do you want me to do here today? And it's like, well, I don't know, but, but just something's got to hide it. And uh, so we had this weird kind of black webby stuff that was on the cocoon. So I just grabbed a few pieces and put some on his neck, some on his shoulder. And then I actually slimed and webbed Robert England's penis. <laughs> I had to. Steve, um, I hate to interject, but I was actually told to ask you about that story. <laughs> About yeah, because um, the guy that does the effects for my films was actually one of your assistants on that film. Oh, who's that? Derek Worley. Oh, Derek, a... of course, yeah, Derek, right? Yeah. He, he lived there, I think, is why he was helping. Didn't, didn't he live in in Ohio? Where we shot? Yeah, yeah, he does. He uh, lives just about twenty minutes from me. Yeah. Oh, right, right, right. Oh, how cool is that? Well, tell him I said hi. Oh, I definitely will. I think he's actually going to listen to this. He's waiting to hear, so he'll be he'll be really <laughs> oh, happy. Hey, that he's I can't wait to hear the the one going to be the show. I, that I'm, not, I'm not sure if Derek is there the um, the night that the the penis webbing went on, but uh, you'll have to. Have ask you said him. this was more of an after hours thing? You could ask him about Ken and my dad. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Did I just miss the question? What, what, what just happened? As, 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 no. Yeah, what's the question, I, Ryan? Derek just said to ask him about the cocoon and his dad. His dad was, it was something about after hours. They were hanging out with the cocoon. I don't know. He wasn't very forthcoming. Uh, uh, oh, God, that's a little oblique. I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> it may have been a really good night, and that's why he doesn't remember what he's I think what he's talking about is we were on a roll of that's what she said jokes. <laughs> and so we were we were talking about we were setting up the cocoon and it literally everything anyone said completely tailored itself to it. That's what she said jokes. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Oh my god. Well, that I love this like would be involved in though for real. I'm sorry. <laughs> I love the fact that we are the show now that we've talked about Robert England's dick. Uh, that's... that's right. So there goes uh, holding back. <laughs> oh, my God, Steve. You're awesome. I want to have you back on the show so we can uh, talk more about these cr the, the stories that you can tell. Because we can you... talk more about Robert England's dick. <laughs> we can talk more about Your Robert See what's funny is every every horror hound convention because horror hounds this week, but every horror hound convention that Robert has come to, I've always been the one to take care of him at the show. Yeah. And and now I don't know. I he said some pretty interesting stories. He's given me some pretty interesting stories, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to look him in the eye. <laughs> Steve, you gotta you gotta gel up my dick, man. I don't know. Do something. <laughs> God. All right, this podcast is deteriorated. Let's get back on track. <laughs> so, um, well, I want—I think we—I think we are about to run out of time. But I wanted to—I um, wanted to give you a chance to give a little bit more detail on when when the first book's coming out and where people can see you and where they can get it. Um, it sounds like we have a, a website for them, but where else can they find? Wait. 
Okay, well, I'm obviously I'm going to be uh, doing the convention circuit. The first one uh, will be at Neil Gordon's prosthetic event in Birmingham, England, November 15th, I believe, the weekend of the 15th. So the, the British and European people can go there. Let me just check the date on that. No, it's the weekend of the 18th, actually, of November. Uh, and then I'm going to be doing the rounds. Like I said, we'll be doing the world tour, the IMAX shows. But the easiest way to get it is um, to go to MontauxPublishing.com. It's M-O-N-T-A-U-K, Publishing.com. And you can order, like I said, the soft cover, the hard cover, or, and the audio book there. Ultimately, we'll be, we will be setting up a specific Rubberhead website where any and all things Rubberhead can, will be able to be purchased, like hats, T-shirts, that kind of stuff. Um, but, yeah, that's the way to do it right now until further, further notice. And the other thing is uh, we, we don't want to lose momentum on, momentum on this. And so the, all five books are already written. Um, so what we're going to do is we're, gonna, we're shooting to get one volume out every six months or so. Wow. So you kids can collect them all. But um, I, I think what's going to happen is I think people are going to be totally surprised once volume one is real, once it comes out into three dimensions and you can hold it in your hands. Um, and I think it's going to really shoot interest up because right now, you know, I'm, you just have to trust me to say it's well written. It's going to have a lot of great pictures and behind the scenes stuff you've never seen. But once people take a look at volume one, I think we're going to build a lot of momentum. I think this is a very important project. And I'm really, really happy to be working on Sandy with it and also offer it to the world. Like I said, I think it's a responsibility. I think it's a very important project. I'm really excited about it. I can't wait to see it. I mean, I, I'm an old school girl. I grew up with your stuff. I grew up watching these monsters be made. And I think it's a, one of the best art forms out there because it incorporates not only sculpting and painting, but almost everything comes together in, in special effects work and prosthetic work. Because it's a living art, and that's what's it is. Conceptualization process, everything about it is just incredible. And you know, right now is exactly the right time to release these books because there's a huge nostalgia for the the, the movies that we did back in the eighties and nineties. There's a huge worldwide rabid desire for anything and everything horror. The conventions, as you know, every week somewhere in the world, and so um, it's a really good time to get this out there. And I'm really excited that we're going to be riding that wave. And, you know, the other thing is um, I will be making an appearance at Son of Monster Palooza in Burbank uh, next weekend, the weekend of the 16th. And uh, I'll be at a booth there with Sandy, and we'll be taking pre-orders to the book. We'll also be doing a talk about the book um, on Sunday at, at 1.30 uh, at the uh, Burbank Mar Marriott. Uh, that's the sixth, no, that's the 18th of this month. It's just uh, about a week away. Awesome. Uh, everybody in, in Monster Palooza, go to this because this guy is a legend, and we want to support this book because there aren't many guys that can do this kind of stuff left that that really know how to do it and do it well. So, Steve, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. No, thank you, thank you so much for having me and helping me spread the rubberhead word. Yep, for sure, always. So thank you again, and guys, we'll have all this information on the fangirlmag.com uh, site, and so go forth and spread the word of Rubberhead for sure. Spread the gospel. Yes. The yeah. Gospel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. All right, you guys. Well, again, thank you. That was fun. That was so much fun. Thank you again, Steve. We'll have to have you back. Congratulations, okay, Steve, cool. by the way. All right. Thank you guys so much. Bye-bye. <laughs>